0: Hey guys, welcome back to the latest episode of Physique Science Radio. I'm your host Lane Norton with my co-host Sohi Lee.
1: Hi. And today
0: we have another really cool guest for for you guys. We have Dr. Jason Kaliva of Coastal Carolina University, and uh, this is pretty cool for me because, uh, uh, well, you could also known as Big Red <laughs> for anybody <laughs> who goes way back on the Bodybuilding.com forums. Um, Uh, Jay and I were kind of of got into this together. So, uh, first off, how are you doing this morning, Dr. Kaleva?
2: I'm doing great, thank you.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you for joining us. I appreciate it. I I got ahead of myself. I got excited. Um, So, for people who don't kind of know my my well, people know my story, but really, me getting into this industry started on the Bodybuilding.com forums. And uh, I remember I was getting ready for my first show. It was 2001, like um, you know, late summer, and I was reading the forums. And this is back in the you know now bodybuilding.com forums have over like 10 million members. It's insane. And um, I was getting ready for my show, and there was the message board back then wasn't anything fancy. It was literally uh, ran chronologically. So if you posted a topic in say September, and it was now November, uh, you would have to scroll all the way back up to find your topic. It <laughs> didn't organize whatsoever. Um, it wasn't like when the last post was done it would just bump it back up to the top. It was just totally chronological by thread start date. And uh, I was posting a lot in the team bodybuilding session and Jay was in there. his screen name was Big Red. and uh, we started co- we started corresponding quite a bit and actually uh, met up for a few training sessions while we were in college and actually interestingly uh, Jay drove how, how far did you drive for my second show I ever did?
2: Well, it was supposed to be a 12-hour drive, but when it was all said and done, between getting lost and uh, and everything else, it took approximately 24 hours. Wow! <laughs> from <laughs> that Rhode that Island hurts. to uh, to Indiana. Yeah, and you picked up quite a few people along the way, did you? Yeah, I picked up some other guys from the forums that um I had never met in person before. <laughs> well,
1: that's not so. strange. <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh, oh no, this. I mean, this was yeah, this was crazy. I mean, this is you probably had we probably had half a dozen people come to the show and um just show up but it was a really cool time and uh everybody just crashed at my my parents place it was pretty uh pretty wild looking back on it you know but um you know i always say the the internet's a a weird place and uh you know you you come across a lot of trolls and everything but also met a lot of really you know real people um and uh and, and and red was definitely one of them um so jay tell us like how did you – so we always had start off with this question, but how did you get into – so obviously you're, you're an academic, but you were a big – I mean you were like me. You were a meathead. How, how did you get into bodybuilding and uh, so can you tell a little bit of that background?
2: Sure. I wouldn't use the word were. I'd still say I'm kind of a meathead. But <laughs> So in high school, I started training lifting weights for football. And uh, I kind of liked some of the changes I was seeing in my body. And I knew in college I wasn't going to play football. And it just kind of led me into wanting to become a bodybuilder. I'd always admired massive men with huge muscles. And it was something I wanted. So that led me into bodybuilding. And ironically, it led me onto the bodybuilding.com forums where I met you and some other guys. In college, how far of this do you want me to go, over? are you going to guide me oh, no. through?
0: No, keep going, keep going. Sure. I, uh, I, I just tell your story, yeah.
2: All right. So in college, I was um, I was kind of a lost soul as far as what I wanted to do with a degree and with my life. I got into a few different things.
0: I ended now, up coming what were, out. Of, what were you? What was your degree originally
2: in? Initially, I went into biochemistry.
0: Oh, I never
2: knew that. Hmm. Yeah, initially I went into the sciences, and I actually wanted to uh, do work with supplements and like investigate supplements and stuff and develop supplements. That's what I went into college as a freshman for. Um, I was an immature college student, to say the least, and I really was not mature enough to be in any sort of difficult degree program. And so I switched into communications and marketing. And that's what I ended up getting my undergraduate degree in. Uh, Along the way, I also really developed my love for bodybuilding and decided that I wanted to be a pro bodybuilder. And this is where our paths kind of differentiated in that I wanted to be an IFFB pro bodybuilder. And so I took the path that required. required you to use performance enhancing drugs to get there right and in doing so i found that a great way to support the uh the habit was to sell them yeah and i got in quite a bit of trouble for that
0: yeah i remember when 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 the whole thing went down i mean it was a big story um even like there was some news news some news nationally about uh you know when you got in trouble, and then um, you know being as, as notable on the bodybuilding.com forums as you were, obviously it was all over there.
2: Yeah, you know there was no excuse for being stupid, but it was a bad timing too. It was right around when Balco and Barry oh, Bonds yeah. and all that stuff was going down. Yeah,
0: they were really cracking down on stuff.
2: Yeah. So,
0: ironically, so, ironically, you'll you'll get a kick out of this. People people use that. They said, "See, Lane hang out with this guy, so Lane can't possibly be natural." And I'm <laughs>
1: What?
0: <laughs> By association, that's
2: funny. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, people just kind of don't know when to quit. But um, but anyways, so as terrible of a uh, experience as that was, it, it kind of turned my life around. And it set down a whole new set of priorities for me. Um, kind of made me grow up from a, an arrogant little kid to happened to be an adult pretty quickly. So I graduated from college, and I got into sales, and I started selling mortgages. And it was right as the the market was crashing out, and I realized that I really did not like sales. I learned a lot from it. We use sales every day in our lives, but I did not enjoy it. And that's when it kind of brought me back to, well, I really like lifting weights, and I really like eating and making changes, and I want to help other people do that. And so I became a personal trainer, and I wanted to expand my knowledge and become a better personal trainer. And so I took some anatomy and physiology and basic exercise science courses at the local university in Connecticut. And while I was taking them, non matriculating, I just developed a love for science mm. and for the science of exercise and nutrition.
0: Not, without, without, see, it's funny how that works when you when you actually want to go to class and go voluntarily versus like feeling like you have to.
2: Yeah, I wish I knew that exercise science existed uh, <laughs> when I was a freshman back in two thousand.
0: Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. So, so from there, I wanted to be a strength coach, so I went to Springfield College and started in the Strength Conditioning Masters program, and I really just fell in love with uh, with the science and the exploration and that led me to get my PhD and kind of brought me to where I am now.
0: Yeah. I can remember when you, you contacted me and, uh, you were, you were, this was years ago and you were talking about, uh, wanting to pursue a PhD and I was like, wow, is this is the same guy I knew growing up. <laughs> I, was, I was like, are you sure? Are you sure, Jay? Cause these things are kind of hard, you know? But I mean, one thing with you it was never, it was never about something difficult. It was just, um, did you like it, you know, and I actually, I actually do remember thinking he should do this because, you know, he's, if it's something he's passionate about, I know he would go and finish it, you know, um, I think like you, and you even told me, and this was years ago, this was like when we were 20 years old, you were like, yeah, I don't do well in school because none of the classes are that challenging for me. He's, and you said like, when I have a challenging class I like, I do my best at it.
2: Yeah. If it's, if, if I'm interested in it and I find it challenging, I ate it up. I got all, I took anthropology courses. You could call me an armchair anthropologist. (laughs) And, um, and I just, I got A's in all those courses. Yeah. And communications and marketing. No. (laughs) <laughs> nothing
0: <laughs> which no offense to anybody out there who's communications or marketing if you're passionate about that by all means like that's we need those people um, but i think it's very instructive what you went through and i'm um, you know i think a lot of our listeners are are either college age or or really into science and so i want to be i think this is kind of instructive um i get emails from a lot of kids who they they they, they talk about well what what, they're totally focused on what what kind of job can I get if I get this degree? What kind of job right. I get if I get mm-hmm. look, there's jobs for any degrees, but the, the the fact of the matter is if you hate what you do, you're not going to be very good at it you know And I think a lot of people go into you know whatever degree program thinking, okay, this has a steady job outcome and if I go point A to point B to point C, I'll get to point E or, or point D. And, uh, I'll make this much money and I'll have a stable job. And it's just, it's nonsense, you know, like, I mean, I didn't have a, um, you know, a kind of normal career path, but it worked out. I'd say, so he's the same way. And and obviously you're definitely the same way. Um, but the fact of the matter is if you're, if you're fired up about what you do and you love it, you're, you're good at it.
1: Right. Actually, um, and Lane, you also get a lot of emails too, since, I mean, for those of you who don't know. I, I'm this gatekeeper. <laughs> <laughs> I call him, I'm the gatekeeper. Um, we get a lot of emails Quiet, from don't me. <laughs> people who ask, like, they're like, oh my God, Lana, I respect what you do. Uh, I want to make it big in the fitness industry just like you. How do I get to um, where you are? And I'm like, well, I don't think you understand how big and vast the fitness industry is. Like, do you, do you even know what specific area you're interested in? Like exercise science? Do you want to go nutrition? Do you want to go body? Like, which, you know, it's just... There, it's so broad and I'm like, I can't even – I don't even know how to start answering that question.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's, you know? Well, you also – because you understand and, – and, and Jay, I'm sure the same thing for you. Um, like you look – if you look back at how much work actually went into it, if you had to yeah. go describe that to somebody, you, you, you kind of sit there. Like I was telling somebody kind of you know, about the PhD process and all this stuff and I look back and I'm like, God – if I had to try and talk myself into doing this again, I don't know if I could do it. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, um, which is funny when I when I met Dr. Joe for the first time, uh, my first coach, uh, I told him kind of blur because he was helping me with my prep, and I was sitting there thinking, wow, this guy preps bodybuilders and that's his job. Like this is amazing. Yeah. I kinda of, I kinda of blurted out, I wanna do what you do, and I'm, you know, I'm 19 years old and I don't know shit about shit. <laughs> and uh, he, he he said at that time he like he smiled and you know gave me an answer but he thought in his head he was like yeah sure right kid. you know what I mean because everybody says that but nobody wants to put in the amount of work and you know he told me later he's like by God you went and did it mm-hmm. so I think that's pretty instructive that uh, and that you would agree with me that um, you know if you it, I, and I get that with college this is one of my big rants on the educational system that people feel like it's a, it's a right to go to college and not everyone should go to college. Yeah, not everybody has totally passions right. aligned the line with going to college, and that's not a bad thing. Like, learn a trade. Go work. Like, you can still make a really good living doing something you like to do. If you don't want to go to college or you're not going to take it seriously, you should not go.
2: I totally agree. We've had this conversation.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: I think we could go on for uh, several hours about it. But, <laughs> um,
0: well, and you're a professor, so I'm sure you see it every day.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and and I was that obnoxious undergrad as well, so I know where that person's coming from too at times. <laughs> but um, I think people just need to focus on and, and enjoy the process of whatever they're doing, and not be so focused on the outcome or the end or the end. It's I mean it's good to have an end goal, but you know they say live every day for the moment. It's kind of that same thing. You need to be totally involved in the process. If you're focused. Right. If you want to win a bodybuilding show your focus needs to be what you're doing that day or that week the training the nutrition the sacrifices you make so on and so forth versus okay it's march 1st i'm going to compete september 1st and i'm already on stage
0: yeah
2: i think it goes for the same thing in life and what you want to do in life and the more you focus on the process you'll find what you enjoy what you don't enjoy, what you need to work harder on, what comes more naturally, and what you really want to do, what you truly enjoy.
0: That, that's an excellent point. And actually, they, they, there's research that shows that people who are successful in their pursuit of their goals, that they learn to do just that. They learn to focus on the process, and they don't get – I mean, as you said, it's important to have an end goal because without the end goal, the process becomes meaningless. But um, – you know, I can remember like, uh, and you know this. I got into lifting because I didn't get any attention from girls, and I <laughs> I wanted to stop getting to stop getting picked on. Um, and uh, and so, but my, you know, when I first started lifting, it was all about that, and it was like I got no enjoyment out of the process until it was like, okay, until I get this physique, or until my legs get bigger, or until my arms get bigger, I wouldn't enjoy the process. And finally, that went from kind of that immature mindset of looking at it that way to. Wow, you know what? I, my physique isn't where I want it, but I actually enjoy this process. I enjoy the struggle. That's huge. Um, you know, uh, J, you're well documented with how small my legs were when I started this whole deal, <laughs> and uh, and how much shit I took on the forums for it. You know, and oh, yeah. I mean, and you you worked out legs with me. You know how hard I train them, and they just they just didn't grow very fast. But you know, now I have. Uh, you know, I was in the gym the other day, and somebody's like, "Man, you really got huge legs," and still, that's like a mind blowing thing for me. <laughs> you know. And um, but I, I look back on it and yeah it was 15 years of work but you know if you could tell me now hey you could take something that would you know bypass that process that you know you could have them in in, in two years or whatever it was would you do it and I actually wouldn't trade it just because like that that struggle was so instructive for me and really teaches you you know what you're made of and kind of the same thing as struggling with through a PhD like there's going to be points at which you want to quit and uh, I think that process is really instructive and. And as you said, people should learn to embrace that because when you when you hit your goal, when you're done with it, actually the parts of it you will look on back on most fondly are the parts where you struggled with most, in my opinion. Did you find the same thing?
2: Yeah, I think everyone needs some sort of personal struggle to overcome and to achieve a goal, whatever that is. You hear – I have some friends in the military and they talk about um, – boot camp a lot and what a personal struggle that was to, to overcome that or whatever the case was, but it builds character.
0: Yeah, absolutely. One of my, one of my good friends, actually our friend, uh, Diana Dahlgren, her uh, fiance now, congratulations to them. uh, Ryan was a a 12 year Navy seal sniper and uh, talked, we talked about that very thing when he was talking about buds and, you know, hell week, uh, you know, going for being a seal And, uh, you know, just the mindset that those guys have that make it through. It's just, it's not even, I mean, he said, you know, physically, he's like, you'll find seals who are like kind of chubby, you know, and you wouldn't think that, but he's like, it's like the mindset is what gets guys through. It's not the, it's not the, the, you know, body type or he's like, I mean, he said, you know, we've got Olympic athletes or guys who played college football or wrestled who, who drop out, you know, but it's the mentally tough guys that make it through. Um, All right, guys, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to actually get into talking some science and a little bit less philosophy. Uh, (laughs) Life advice. (laughs) You're listening to Physique Science Radio. We're with uh, Dr. Jason Kaliva. We'll be right back. Hey, guys. One of the things that's always on my mind is how can I give back to the industry that has done so much for me? That's why we formed the BioLane Foundation. The BioLane Foundation is a philanthropic initiative to raise money for grad school level research that is going to contribute to the fitness industry. It is 100% tax deductible and 100% of all your donations will be paid out to students. If you'd like to donate, you can go to BioLane.com, click on the About tab, and click on BioLane Foundation. And you can put your donation in through there. Or if you're a student and you'd like to apply for a grant, please go to BioLane.com, click the About tab, click BioLane Foundation, and you can find the applications online there. Thank you guys so much, and I'm looking forward to all the great research that comes from these donations.
1: All right, welcome back from the commercial break, you guys. Uh, Lane, why don't you tell us a little bit about the My Oatmeal sponsorship that's going on?
0: Yeah, so as you guys know, we, we love MyOatMill.com. They're they're awesome sponsors, and uh, they've got a really cool promotion going on. So if you follow them on Instagram uh, and tag a friend when you follow them, um, they are giving away uh, three $50 gift cards. So you can win a $50 gift card if you uh, if you enter in this, uh, in this promotion. So that's really cool. I mean you could get like – Two or three pretty big bags of oatmeal for that. So, uh, and for those who have never tried it before, uh, it's awesome stuff. So, I would definitely uh, give them a follow on Instagram. Their handle is at my oatmeal. Um, so, check them out. Tag a friend in one of the in, of the, in their picture for this promotion, mm-hmm. and uh, get your chance. Self entered for a chance to win uh, one of their fifty dollars gift cards. All
1: right, good deal. Hey guys, welcome back to Physique Science Radio. I wanted to bring us back with a question for Dr. Kaleva, a little bit um, moving away from the life advice, philosophy, uh, general talk back to the science. So um, I was curious as to your PhD research, what did you do your research on and what did you find?
2: Well, I kind of went full circle. I went into undergrad wanting to research supplements and develop supplements. And when I got to grad school and got to do my thesis and eventually my PhD, that's what I was doing. And at the time, I was actually just searching around in the forums, looking for something interesting and novel to research as far as an ergogenic aid. And I came across a compound called betaine anhydrous, or trimethylglycine. And a few studies showed that had improved uh, performance and force output. But what had I been mean, going on for so many years is they've been using this compound as an additive to pig feed to improve meat yield and reduce huh. subcutaneous fat, I was like, "That's interesting. I wonder what it does in people." <laughs> and so that—that's what the bulk of my PhD research was focused on: was betaine.
0: Very cool. So what did uh, what were your what were your studies set up like, and, and what did you what did you find with betaine? I mean, so do you take betaine? <laughs> Sometimes yes, I
2: do. Yeah. I'm on and off, it's hard for me to now to maintain a, a good supplement schedule because I'm busy. Right. And if it's not in front of my face, I don't take it. So if it's in the closet, I'll forget about it for a few days. I'd be a mm-hmm. terrible client.
0: Isn't that funny how that works? When you're a kid, you can't wait to get all the supplements and, and get them timed out just right and take all of them. You know. Um, oh my
2: God! Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so so tell us about your research and what you actually found with betaine supplementation. Sure. So,
2: the results, and, and, and still, even in the research, the results are a little ambiguous as far as what it benefits and what it doesn't benefit. Um, but first, I was looking at the performance aspects, and all the research that was done was done predominantly in active or untrained individuals, and they were finding, in some cases, that if they saw power improvements, or they saw strength improvements, or... No power improvements in this study, but strength improvements. And then the next study would be the exact opposite. And I think maybe some of that was just due to the subject base and all the tests that they were using and that these untrained subjects just don't have the work capacity to do a full testing battery. And so I wanted to see what it did in trained individuals. And at the time, I was coaching a bodybuilding and powerlifting team at Springfield College. I was an assistant coach. And so that provided a perfect sample of of subjects.
0: Congratulations, you're volunteered for this.
2: (laughs) Yes. And so I think when people, and this is going getting off a little bit, but I think when people evaluate uh, sports supplement research and they don't seem to realize how difficult it is to recruit subjects and to maintain subjects, and especially if you're doing a training study, the attrition rate that's generally... Associated with that. You might start with 30 subjects and finish off with 10.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: But anyway, so that so that's what I wanted to look at. I wanted to look at um in men specifically training for strength and hypertrophy. What are the effects? And the next step was why does this work? If it does even work, what are the mechanisms? And As I was going through the literature, I got into a lot of studies that showed a clinical use for betaine, and it was used to treat hyperhomocysteinemia. And homocysteine is it's a metabolite of uh, methylation metabolism. Yes. And they also call it a a potentially uh, toxic amino acid. Although I hate to use that word, but it is associated.
0: Yeah, exactly. That's that's the that's the point. We talk about this a lot. That uh, homo elevated homocysteine levels are associated with heart disease. Now, there's a debate as to whether or not homocysteine actually causes heart disease. Remember, correlation is not necessarily causation.
2: Precisely. But anyway, so they use it to treat hyperhomocysteinemia or having too much homocysteine, and the homo when you have excess homocysteine, some of it. Is converted into homocysteine thiolactone, which blocks the ability of insulin and iso, uh, insulin-like growth factor to uh-huh. stimulate protein synthesis, or it inhibits it. I shouldn't say it completely blocks it. Right. And so betaine provides methyl groups to transmethylate homocysteine back to methionine, for for lack of a better term, to detoxify it. Uh-huh which I also hate that term, but I'm using it just to keep things simple. Um, and so, so you're
0: saying we should do a detox That's, and a cleanse on top of
2: it, right? <laughs> and
1: you juicy. should probably do
2: a... Um, my, my suggestion would be espresso <laughs> and, and blended habanero peppers via, <laughs> via enema. <laughs> I think that would provide the most powerful detox on the market. <laughs> We should trademark that lane. <laughs> yeah.
0: Okay. You and me. We're, we're wow. I lost ten pounds. I feel so much better. <laughs> no
2: so, shit. No shit.
0: <laughs> pun intended.
2: <laughs> so, so anyhow, I was looking through. The, I was again. You know, I'm still going through the research and trying to uh, uncover potential mechanism. That's that's what I came to. And then I was looking and I saw that in athletes involved in intense training have higher levels of homocysteine uh, homocysteine than most normal individuals, especially they looked at it in Olympic athletes and they found elevated homocysteine. Um, And then the other aspect is betaine and folate play a role in transmethylating homocysteine back to methionine. And if you consume a high methionine diet, uh, that methionine is adenylated and eventually converted to homocysteine as it donates methyl groups. And betaine and folate are found predominantly in vegetables. And my uh, hypothesis was that a lot of these strength athletes, and especially a lot of the strength athletes that I'm working with, are very, very focused on consuming a lot of protein and a lot of carbohydrate, mm-hmm. the typical chicken and rice diet. Right. And they're not consuming a lot of vegetables or a wide variety of vegetables. So perhaps betaine, um, via transmethylating homocysteine and reducing homocysteine thiolactone levels, perhaps that allows insulin and IGF-1 to do its job a little better. Hmm. And so that's what we set out to find. And, and what we found was pretty interesting. Um, we found that betaine improved body composition, in a group of strength-trained men, wow. we saw increases in arm cross-sectional area. We saw increases in work capacity, or or the total volume over the course of the six weeks. It was a training study.
0: Wow, six weeks! And I was going to ask because that's in training people to, to see an effect in six weeks is is it's pretty remarkable.
2: Yeah, we chose six weeks. Um, most of the people on the team had about two years of training experience right so it wasn't like they were super close to their
0: right genetic uh but even so that's still pretty impressive now what what uh dosage were you using
2: we used two and a half grams per day okay Uh, that seems to be a pretty pretty typical dosage average consumption is about 100 to 400 milligrams per day um and keep in mind as, as i go through these um We did use skinfold calipers for body fat percentage, and to look at a cross-sectional area, Springfield College is a small school, and we don't have a DEXA or a Bod Pod or anything like that, unfortunately. Um, So to look at cross-sectional area, I took girth measurements of the arm and the thigh, Mm -hmm. and then I took um, skin folds at the quadrants, and I used that with the standard size for the bone, to calculate muscle cross-sectional area. I see. So there is room for error. Yeah. Um, but regardless, you know, we did see changes and subjectively the subjects, you know, reported changes as well. Uh, what we didn't see was any improvements in homocysteine theolactone or anything significant. Interesting. The The athletes I was working with didn't have significantly high levels of homocysteine Theolactone, they were normal, and we saw that betaine kind of um, attenuated a rise in homocysteine theolactone. The the study corresponded to the end of the school year, and so from week two to six, they were all living back at home with their parents. So it's possible they were eating richer foods, and that can lead to higher homocysteine. Mm. But, anyways, regard, even though it was statistically significant, it didn't appear to be physiologically significant, since it was at at the very low end for both groups. Right. And so now the question becomes, um, how does this stuff work? Like, What is it doing to improve body composition and potentially improve uh, force output? And so that's the next investigation.
1: Based on your research, what is your current recommendation to the public, to the general, you know, the average physique athlete? Would you recommend your two and a half grams a day that you use for the, your research study?
2: Sure. Two and a half grams is, has been shown to be effective. We've seen in other studies improvements in performance, although they're still ambiguous, there is potential for increases in force output. And in our study, we saw improvements in body composition with two and a half grams. Cool. So I don't foresee a reason um, to use more. Um, I'm always under the impression that less is more and
0: mm-hmm.
2: you know, use whatever you need. Um, with that said, they have investigated dosages of it quite high up to uh, up to twenty grams per day. Wow. In, in human studies, in some cases. and in in clinical use, it's used um, around five grams per day in some cases. And so, I don't think it would necessarily harm you. The major side effect associated with betaine supplementation is uh, it's a very powerful osmolite. So when we were making these capsules, just to give you an idea of how powerful an osmolite it is, I was making them in early May in Connecticut. And I left some powder on the table and I walked away for five or ten minutes. And I came back and it wasn't that humid of a day where that powder was, was now a pool of water. Wow. (laughs) And so your tissues, um, your tissues absorb the betaine, especially your muscle tissues, Mm -hmm. especially when they're under some sort of stress, such as exercise. So they absorb the betaine, and then that betaine sucks in water. And that's probably why we saw those increases in lean mass, is just a much more hyperhydrated muscle.
0: So kinda like a creatine creatine effect. Yeah, I see that. and actually, there's, 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 there's data in the literature that actually shows that it uh, increases plasma volume. So, um, you know, if you give a damn amount of pump, um, that would be something that would be should be helpful based on that. Exactly. Yeah. And
2: so, so with that osmolite effect, and this I've experienced personally, the major side effect is, uh, is GI discomfort. Mm-hmm. So if mm-hmm. you take a high dosage of it, especially on an empty stomach, yeah. you have betaine in your intestines that's pulling water into your intestines, and you can imagine what the effect would be if you don't absorb that
0: betaine. So <laughs> no, that's my
2: caution. It would be
0: it would be a good cleanse, it sounds like.
1: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay, so betaine, habanero, and uh, and what was our <laughs> other ingredient? Espresso. Espresso. Boom. That's it right there. All <laughs> right. Well, <laughs> on that note, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll come back and uh, we'll talk about more of your research that you're doing now. Uh, you're all listening to Physique Science Radio, and we're talking with Dr. Jason Kaliva. Hey guys, Lane here. Well, you all know how much I love variety in my diet. I can't stand eating the same bland food every single day. That's why I love www.myoatmeal.com. It's an amazing website where you can go and customize oatmeal. I know, I know, I know. Why would I want to go customize oatmeal? I can eat it right out of the bag. Well, let me tell you why. MyOatmeal.com has 22 billion combinations of flavors and ingredients. You heard me right. 22 billion combinations. Whether you're picking out a pre-made blend or making your own customized blend, they have all kinds of flavors. Want red velvet cake? No problem. Snickerdoodle? You can make it happen. Butter rum? Oh yeah. Cheesecake? You can get it done. And you have all kinds of additives you can add. Apples, raisins, pears, nuts, all kinds of seeds. And you can sweeten it any way you want. Need to eat gluten-free? No problem. They've got it. The best part of it all? The macros are listed as you're customizing your blend. And they change depending on which ingredients you add. Eating a little bit lower carb? No problem. Choose ingredients that make your carb count lower. Need more protein? Add higher protein ingredients. You can customize your blend to make it almost any breakdown that you want, and the prices and macros change as you change your blend. So go on over to www.myoatmeal.com and check out some of the blends that have already been made, or be adventurous and make your own. That's myoatmeal.com. Check it out, guys. Hey, guys. You know me, and you know I love cooking up macro-friendly option meals. But sometimes when I'm always on the go, that's just not an option. So when I'm on the go or can't cook a meal, I love Quest Bars. You know I love protein and fiber, and these are packed with 20 grams of high quality protein and super high in fiber. And it's easy to stay on target when you've got Quest Bars that you can bring with you anywhere. They're delicious compared to other bars that taste like bricks and leave you feeling gassy and bloated. So pick up a bar of Quest Bars today at questnutrition.com, GNC, and Vitamin Shop. Also, follow them on Instagram at questnutrition and youtube.com slash questnutrition for great recipe ideas to keep you on your goals but eating delicious. You're back on Physique Science Radio. We're talking with Dr. Jason Kaliva, and uh, he's doing some really interesting research at his current school now, Coastal Carolina University, where he is a uh, professor. Uh, And we're going to get to that, but first, as we always do, we have uh, discussions between (laughs) segments. And uh, so he had a question for for, uh, Dr. Kaliva that I I think uh, uh, sometimes, uh, you know, Jay and I get talking, and we forget about, you know, the actual obvious questions. So... So he, please, please go ahead and, and set us straight. <laughs> well,
1: yes, and well, this was a related follow-up question that I had regarding the betaine um, that I'm sure that a lot of listeners will be wondering as well. Um, specifically, you know, two and a half grams a day, sure, but what what time of day do you recommend we take it? Uh, empty stomach, fed state, right before training, after training, or what are the specifics of all of that?
2: Um, I would not suggest taking it on an empty stomach, <laughs> from uh, from personal experience. Right. With that said, the absorption rate of betaine is changed by consuming it with food. It's absorbed slower, but the absolute absorption is not changed. Mm -hmm. So if you take it with food, it might absorb 90 minutes slower than it would if you took it on an empty stomach. But if you take a gram and a half, a gram and a half is going to be absorbed. So I would take it with food. And as far as time of day, it really doesn't matter. The way that betaine, the way that we think betaine works, is uh, you take it; it's absorbed into the blood, and then your tissues uh, absorb the betaine. So your muscle tissues would absorb the betaine, and the more stress they're under, it appears, the more betaine they're going to take up.
0: Very cool. Very. So so it's almost like a like a creatine effect, almost mm-hmm. like a saturation effect.
2: Right. Pre- precisely. That that's what. That's what my hypothesis is. Correct. So right. two and a half grams per day. If you want to split it up into the one point two five, that's fine. If you want to take it all at once, I think that would be perfectly acceptable as well. Mm-hmm. Take it with food.
1: Okay.
0: Very cool. Thank you for that clarification. Now, tell us—you've kind of gone away a little. Well, not, I don't want to say gone away from, but you—you you have talked to me at length about kind of the stuff you're doing now with athletes. Um, at your at your university. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing right now?
2: Yeah, it's really exciting. The I was approached by our athletics department. Um, actually, all the professors in my department were to see if we could come up with some sort of consortium for a high-performance model. And my role in this has been working on nutrition with the athletes. And what I found... Just through speaking with them and and talking with them is a lot of these guys really don't know how to eat. Their their knowledge of nutrition is not is not all that great.
0: Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you're that's putting it lightly. Oh
1: my gosh, that so, oh my gosh, that oh that drives me crazy when people they're like, well, I'm a Division One athlete or I'm a college athlete, therefore I know all about nutrition and performance. And they just, <laughs> I'm like, no, that's completely different. No.
2: <laughs> so just to speculate some of them come and and they, their high school coaches have told them things a lot of times their high school coaches really do not know anything about nutrition either and the fact that they're stating it from a, an authoritarian standpoint yes. makes it all the more negative or potentially dangerous right. yeah
0: yeah it's, it's, it's like saying oh but I'm a personal trainer or I'm a bodybuilder right but so yeah it <laughs> yeah. actually makes me less inclined to think you know what you're talking about. <laughs>
2: Hey, you know what? I got I got some money in mutual funds, and I've gotten a pretty good return. How about you give me a couple hundred grand that I invested? Uh.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I was I made a post on Facebook one day, not to go off on a side rant, but you'll appreciate this. And and of course, people you know who, people who want to be offended are offended. But I said, you know, saying, "Oh, look at me! I've I've gotten this good physique. I know what I'm talking about." Is like saying, "Oh." You know, look at me, I beat cancer and so therefore I'm qualified to be an oncologist, you know. I
1: remember no. that that was oh my god, the comments were infuriating.
0: Yeah, it's yeah. Well, people just don't have any, you know, common sense to them. like, "Oh, how dare you speak negatively about cancer patients?" Like, "What do you what are you talking yeah. about?" Like, like, one guy was like, "Oh my
1: god, like you're saying that uh bodybuilding is the same thing as getting cancer?" I'm like, "What? No. <laughs> Where did you draw that from?"
0: Yeah, it's if you ever if you ever <laughs> want to have no hope for for mankind, just read some of the some of the comments on my my Facebook fan page or my YouTube. You you really <laughs> and you start to realize that there is no way the human race is making another hundred years. We're going to go extinct. So enjoy yeah. it last, people. <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Jay. Uh, please continue with your with your thought on. Um, uh, no! We were talking about athletes and their lack of knowledge. Of no problem,
2: and and so that so that's one part is uh, you know they, where they get their nutrition information from and whether those people have even the slightest clue or not. Uh, and the other aspect of it is um, a lot of these guys are pretty genetically gifted to play at a Division One university, regardless of where you need some level of of good genetics. And for a lot of them, they were kind of like a big fish in a small pool in high school where they were just dominating their competition. And now they come to college and realize that the playing field is level. Mm -hmm. Recently, I just completed a study with the baseball team, and it lasted approximately 10 weeks. And what we wanted to see was what these athletes knew about nutrition, Um what their food behavior was, and if we implemented a nutrition intervention, how would it affect their knowledge of nutrition, their food behaviors, or their nutrient intake, and ultimately, how would it affect their performance and their body composition, because these are the two things that really are going to determine their effects on the field. Do they get leaner and do they get stronger? If they get leaner and they get stronger. They're going to be better athletes for the most part. Right. Right. And and so I guess you could kind of call it a flexible dieting program. Woo! Um, Yay! (laughs) Like we we brought them into – so we did a few education sessions. Uh, We did one large one and then we met once a week over dinner and we would eat and talk and reiterate and reinforce uh, the education component and – What we also did was we created packets, so we determined based upon their body composition, anthropometrics, and their activity levels, and they're all doing pretty much the same activity, same training, same baseball practice, same conditioning, so on and so forth, Um, their individual calorie and macronutrient needs. And we assigned homework or packets, just to give you a quick rundown, uh, one of them I'm gonna open it up right now. I don't have it on here. One of them looked like consume five servings of lean meats per day. And we, we educated them on serving size. Consume three servings of dairy, consume one protein supplement. Sure. Consume however many servings of starch and fruit and vegetable and so on and so forth. And if they went through and, and checked these things off, they would meet their energy needs. Right. Now, we haven't compared the, the food intake yet compared to actually what they were assigned to eat, but we did we – did, uh, I had to get some information over to the coach. So we did look at improvements in, in 24 of the athletes. I haven't looked at the controls yet. yet. And, and as a team, we gained about 80 pounds of lean muscle mass –
0: <laughs> That's so cool. 24
2: people. Mm-hmm. We lost 30 pounds of fat. Our wow. body fat percentage went down on average um, about 1%. Each player on average gained three and a half pounds of muscle and lost a little over a pound of fat over the course of 10 weeks.
1: So recomp, pretty much. Body recomp.
2: Yeah, yeah. And That's so, great. again, we're working with you know guys that have, um, number one, they have a high genetic ceiling. Uh, right. Right. As far as training goes, um, number two, they are involved in a lot of training.
0: Mm-hmm. Right?
2: So they're, they're lifting three to four times a week. They're conditioning three to four times a week. And then they're spending about 20 hours a week um, working on baseball skills.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So they're doing a lot, a lot of activity. Um, anyhow, we looked at other numbers. We looked at, where are they here? We looked at squat. And we saw that on average our squat increased by 50 pounds over the course of that 10 weeks. And what I thought was most telling is that the vertical jump increased and the broad jump increased. And we saw the greatest improvements in vertical jump and broad jump in the people who had the greatest improvements in squat and the greatest decreases in body fat percentage. Mm-hmm. We looked at a bunch of other baseball-specific numbers too, like sixty-yard dash, ten-yard dash, pro agility, so on and so forth, and they seem to follow the same suit. The guys who got leaner and got stronger became faster, better jumpers, more agile. So it'll be interesting to see how how these improvements compare to their nutritional
0: intakes. Yeah, that that's pretty cool. That's. Um uh, you know what I take away from that? And you, you mentioned how you know D one athletes, you know, so very, you know, genetically gifted, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So uh, and you talked about how someone will say, Well I'm a I'm a D one athlete, right, Zoe? And it's like and they'll say, you know, as a kind of a validation as to why what they're doing works. And I always like what Dr. Zordo says, you know, well, anything can work to a certain degree, but it doesn't mean it was, you know, optimal. Uh, with the understanding that we never will optimal is like perfection you never actually get to it you just try to get close um but the and and what you're showing here jay is yes you know all these guys were probably stronger than the average person had better physiques than the average person all that kind of stuff so what they were doing worked but look what happened when you got them consistent on a nutrition program and a lifting program it worked much much better i think that's the point to take away from this sort of thing
2: yeah i agree um you know the results are awesome and the group of guys I was working with were awesome. They were very all very eager to to learn and participate and everything else. Um, so it came out really well. But you can always be doing something better, learn something new.
0: No, no question. I think that's the. I think that's the the hallmark of a um, not only somebody who um, is always trying to progress, but um, but a scientist as well. Understanding that our our we never. Uh, I think if you're a scientist, get in trouble when they say, okay, this is the way things are, <laughs> without acknowledging that our understanding of the universe changes constantly, you know? Um, and that is a huge deal because a lot of people will say, okay, well, this, they'll look at research 20 years ago and say, this worked. And it's like, okay, we got work. And then they'll look at research now and they'll say, okay, well, this is different, so something must be wrong. Well, no, it's not that something is wrong or right. It's just that our understanding of things evolves. And a lot of times when you see – I get this a lot. I don't know about you, Jay, or Sohi, but I hear people say, well, I don't pay attention to science because one study says one thing and one study says another thing. Huh? And, <laughs> um, but I get that a lot. And, and, and the thing is, is like, well, did you actually read the studies? Right. And the answer is always, well, no, I – you know. I read an abstract, or I read it on such-and-such's blog, and it's like, well, then you can't really make that claim. Because <laughs> um, if you actually look at studies, typically it almost all can be explained by research design. And, 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 and you know, like you were saying, the betaine, betaine supplementation was kind of ambiguous in the literature, and, and it, but it probably boils down to differences in research design. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think when
2: you're looking at a subject. What I like to do, I think is really cool is I collect all my literature and then I put it in chronological order or I try to. And so I start with whatever was the oldest study I can and try and read forward. And if you do that, it kind of tells a story of what the questions are, what we're discovering, what the new questions are. It's almost like reading a novel. I, you know, I I do that before I go to bed at night. Some people might read, um, I don't know, the the girl that shoots the arrows in that movie,
0: <laughs> that book. Hunger I think Games. LeBron
2: James was <laughs> reading the series,
0: the, the Hunger Games. Yeah, the Hunger
2: Games or whatever the case, you know. And so, oh, no,
1: that's
0: funny. So I have right right, right before they do their habanero cleanse.
2: Yes, absolutely. <laughs> So, anyway, so that's kind of how I like to approach things, and, and it makes it interesting. It, you know, it's it's like reading a novel for me.
0: Yeah, I mean, that, that's that's I've never thought of it that way, Jay. But that is really true. Um, you actually, I actually was about to jump in, but I let I let you finish for for a rare time. <laughs> uh, uh, but I was going to say it's like it's like a story, you know, and that's that's so true. And I, I'm just thinking back to the. The protein metabolism research and how ours thinking has evolved over the years and, and you see the changes in methodology and the changes in the questions. and um, Yeah, it really does help. That's a really interesting way to look at research. I never thought of it that way. That's a, that's a great piece of advice, a little nugget for our, our scientists out there. Um, I think we're going to take another break and we'll come back and wrap up the show. Uh, you're listening to Physique Science Radio with Dr. Jason Kaliva. You're listening to Physique Science Radio with Lane Norton and Sohi Lee. If you like what you hear and you'd like to learn more about us, read some of our articles, please visit my website at www.biolane.com and Sohi's website at soheefit.com. Thanks, guys. We appreciate you listening and hope to hear more from you in the future. Hey, guys. Many of you out there know I spend a lot of time bagging on bad coaches. And certainly, there's more than enough of those to go around but a lot of times people ask me who I do recommend. Well, one person we can recommend wholeheartedly is Paul Ravella of ProPhysique. Paul has received more referrals from me over the last two years than any other coach, and with good reason. Paul is competent, professional, caring, and carries himself with a lot of integrity. If you hire Paul, you're going to be getting the very best at a great value. Paul is also one of my closest personal friends and I can say with absolute certainty, I feel 100% comfortable with referring my closest friends and family to him because I've done that. Paul Revella of ProPhysique.com. Check him out, guys.
1: All right. Hey, guys. Uh, as usual, we were having a discussion over the break, and we were talking about some questions that uh, Dr. Jason Kaleva gets from his students at his university. Um, specifically, you know, there are a lot of times people who are very eager to learn, students who um, maybe don't have their PhDs yet, like, you know, someone, including myself. And a lot of the listeners out there, um, you know, w- when you're reading about uh, science-related topics, like, I don't know, let's say meal frequency, for example, how do you know what sources to 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 read, and what what um, you know? Where can you go for credible information, and what can you really believe? So, where do you go for that kind of information? I guess this is a question for both uh, Lane and for Dr. Uh, Kaleva to answer.
0: Good question. I'll take it first. if You don't mind, Jay? Yeah, please. Uh, so, I think the first thing is is as a student, if you're really interested to learn, if and I mean that. If you're really interested to learn and not just reinforce whatever your bias is, okay, because there is a difference, Yes. all right? Ninety percent of people who ask me questions are do not actually care about the answer. They just want me to reinforce whatever it is they're doing, okay? If you actually care about learning and you have an open mind, then do not be offended by the answer, okay? If it's different than what you thought, that, that's a great thing actually, okay? Mm-hmm. If you find out something different, that means you were doing something wrong and now you can get better. Right now, you're going to get even better. So I think it's important not to be offended. All right. So that's that's one thing. And uh, you know, you never want to tell people, and I'm sure uh, Dr. Glove is the same way. You never want to tell people, don't read stuff, right? Because you're you're going to you want different opinions and different viewpoints. But you need to you need to distill down. Uh, I'm always shocked at the number of people who don't actually understand what peer-reviewed research is. Like I'll be in a debate. And I'll say, well, can you please show me some peer-reviewed li- literature to support your 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 statements? And they'll send me an article to a website, and I'm like, no, <laughs> that is not peer review. Okay, <laughs> so <laughs> so, and they say, oh, it was by a doctor. Well, I don't care. <laughs> One of the I, I gave a speech at Eckerd College, my, my alma mater, a while back, and um, it was to a. Uh, 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 a class of mostly non-scientists. And I said, well, you can still use scientific thinking to your advantage. And I listed up all – and I said, who am I and why should you listen to me? I listed all my accolades and degrees and all this. At the very bottom, I said, and none of that is any reason you should listen to me. Okay, You should listen to me because I provide you with evidence. All right? So you should follow people and blogs or or read online of people who provide evidence and check the sources. All right, first off, if they don't actually provide any – references there's a good reason for that probably because they have none okay Mm -hmm. trust me as a scientist if i have something if i have a piece of info that will back something up i'm gonna cite it you know what i mean like i want to be legit and then check those references go actually read the references don't take somebody's word for it because at the end of the day you know what i tell you in an article is my opinion about the data you may read it and have a different opinion and i'll have people who will say well I can't understand studies, it's not worth it for me to read them. Yes, it is, okay? When you first started doing math, you didn't understand math either, but you did it long enough that it started to make sense, you know? Um, it's the same thing. If you read studies long enough, they will start to make sense to you, okay? And if you if you have to go, you know, Google what what is mTOR, what is P70S6 kinase, you know, all those different things, then do it, you know, learn about it. Um, but, but read the research, okay? I, I think it's okay to read blogs and all that kind of stuff, but you should always be if, if something something doesn't pass the sniff test if you can't answer you know, show me the evidence and we'll take meal frequency, right? People will say, well, um, you know I, I, uh, you should eat more frequent meals because it's like you know if you have a fire, you don't <laughs> need to just throw a bunch of logs on all at once. You know you only need to throw one log on to keep it burnt. You know, but it, <laughs> now my question is, what in the hell does that have to actually do with metabolism? Right. Okay. But people, people, listen that's clearly that, not
2: but, a pyromaniac. Because <laughs> I'm saying throw them all on. Throw
0: them all on, yeah. I just keep throwing them all on. But, but the the people will listen to that and they go, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Uh-huh. No, no, it's an it's an analogy. It doesn't mean it actually makes sense. Like, go look at the data. And the data says that there really is no difference from one right. to two. 15 meals or 20 meals on a uh, fat loss for meal frequency. So the data kind of says, you know, do what you want in terms of fat loss. Now there may be some differences in, 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 uh, muscle gain and muscle retention. Um, but even then, uh, Dr. Stu Phillips showed that eating too frequently, frequently was, was actually suboptimal for, for muscle gain. So, mm-hmm. um, I think that's an important point to make. And, um, you know, a lot of people will just well. Well, they'll either end up with kind of three things. They'll 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 do a false dichotomy to, to attack you, which is, well, Lane, are you saying we should we should just eat one meal per day? <laughs> well, no, I, I said we should not eat eight. That doesn't mean we should eat one. Okay. Or then they'll they'll ad hominem attack you. They'll say, "Wow, well, you you're a stupid head." It's like, okay, well maybe maybe I am, but that doesn't change what the data says. Uh, and then they'll um, they'll say, "Well, this worked for me." You know, the the one that you can't you, there's no comeback to because it's not even a scientific statement. Right. So, um, yeah. Now, so now I'm, I'm, I've kind of gone off on a you know a nice five minute rant there, uh, Jay. Do you have anything to add to that? <laughs> No, that
2: that was good. Uh, you know, I kind of look at it from a different perspective. As far as I, I, we have a wonderful base of students here at Coastal Carolina, and I'm fortunate in that I teach mostly juniors and seniors. Um, so by the time you get to junior and senior year as an exercise science major, you've been put through the ringer and sorted out. And uh, and I never want to discourage my students from learning. So if they pose me with a I ask a question and they answer it with what would be considered a myth, that's always kind of what uh, what kills me is how to answer that while encouraging their learning. And, and I posed this question on the ISSM Facebook page and some people said, well, just tell them to go do a PubMed search. And for, you know, for college students, for the most part, that's, that's not going to suffice. Uh, as much as I wish it would, and I could say, well, let's do a PubMed search and read some articles. A lot of these kids have jobs and, and all those other things that get in the way of life, of doing research. Um, so I'm trying to steer them to position CM papers. The ISSN has some great that I've been steering them to and some other reviews of literature that are on a – a more understandable level like a junior or senior level and so that's what i'm trying to to steer them to and i'm also trying to get them to question like lane said um, some of the references that people are using a great yeah. article that this was published in like 2010 or 12 but i know you've seen it is the smoking enhances aerobic endurance article <laughs> huh? it, it yeah. was pure satire but it uh, and, and you know <laughs> the first paragraph said this is strictly satire and it shows how irresponsible interpretation of the data or bias yeah, right, interpretation of right. the data or whatnot.
0: But they basically ended up made a really convincing argument by massaging or what Dr. Lehman calls torturing the data. Um, yes. To, to, to basically convince you that smoking enhances endurance exercise. And actually, if you read the article, it's cited and it, I mean, it, you, you said, wow, wow, that, that actually makes sense, you know, but it, it doesn't like if you actually look at um, the endpoint of smoking and effects on exercise. It decreases exercise performance, but um, they made you know through different mechanistic you know kind of like I said torturing the data made it sound like it actually could enhance it.
2: Yeah, Dave Asprey, the the bulletproof CEO. Yeah. The, that guy, he has. Um, Whoever writes his stuff does that as well. And I've oh been god, in yeah. discussions on, on, on <laughs> social media where I actually pulled up all the references and went through them and just looking at the abstract, it doesn't pass the sniff test.
0: Yeah. Well you you you, you, you mean you don't need to do some some nutrition hacking. You don't need to do you know life hacking. <laughs> you
2: know, there's there's a website and this is legit and I show it to my students and it's a bulletproof coffee enema.
0: Oh my god. Hey, <laughs> damn it. They took our idea already. <laughs>
2: Got to put some habaneros in there. Yeah,
0: that's true. That's true. That's, <laughs> that's really bulletproof right there. Yeah. Unfortunately, when you get into those sorts of things, Jay, and I, I have a video out there called How to Avoid Becoming a Zealot um, and Thinking for Yourself, I think a lot of these kind of clans like – in nutrition, it really pops up a lot that, that people like latch on a quote-unquote movement and the leaders of these movements encourage that sort of cult thinking yes. and oh. you know if you if you question it or even you know say something i mean they attack you voraciously like, i'm sure you took a lot of blowback for for you know just asking for for evidence you know and um, that was like when i when sohi and i did that article on inter- intermittent fasting i'm sure, oh my god <laughs> yeah it was, we we offended the church of intermittent fasting yes. you know and actually, if you look at the guy who's the big proponent of intermittent fasting, who started it, um, I mean, his Twitter handle like says "High Priest of Intermittent Fasting." Oh, <laughs> it's a like religion. okay, yeah. I mean, it's it's like you're you're encouraging that mindset that how dare you question me, you know? And uh, oh. funny is I didn't even I we didn't even say anything really bad about intermittent no. fasting. I said um, you know I said. Uh, it's probably fine for fat. I think it fits some people's lifestyles well, but if you ask me, is it optimal for muscle mass? Probably not, based on the data. And oh my God, people are like Lane hates intermittent fasting, and, and and f that guy. I well look at his number of followers, and look at you know Martin's number of followers, and I'll tell you the whole story. It's just like what? what?
2: What? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, and Sohi, you said that people email asking, how do I get big in the fitness industry? Yes, all
0: the time.
2: Unfortunately, right now, the way we are, that is your answer. That's
0: true.
2: Nobody wants, or at least I shouldn't say nobody, because there is a large group, but they're definitely in the minority that wants to follow people who say, I am not an expert. (laughs) I I am not an expert. Yeah. Like, yeah. I don't like when people call me an expert. I get really pissed off when people call me a guru.
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm
2: not an expert. I'm not a guru. But that's what people want. And I I don't know. But, you know, we can go on with what's wrong. Uh, with well, issue, Ber- but we can talk about what's good, too.
0: Yeah. I, I wanted to jump in here with a quote from Bertrand Russell. It's one of my favorite quotes. And I put this up in my last talk. And Bertrand Russell, he said, the whole problem with this world is that fools and zealots are f- totally sure of themselves, and wise people are filled yes. with that. That is a badass quote right there. That's powerful. Yeah, it's it's very very true. Um, so speaking of that, you know, he and I are always very, um, you know, trying to get out information for people who are good to follow for good coaching info, and you do some coaching online now, so. Um, if you would mind telling people where they can find out more about you and uh, more about your services that you offer, would you uh, mind dropping that for us? No, my pleasure. You can
2: contact me in a number of ways. Um, I have a website. It is jasonkaleva.com.
1: How do you spell Kaleva?
2: <laughs> it's C-H-O-L-E-W-A. Uh-huh. Okay.
0: Not to be confused with Kalua, which is what I called him for <laughs> years. <laughs> yes, it's pronounced
2: Kalua. <laughs> I mean, it's not. It looks like it's pronounced Kalua. Excuse me. But so you can you can uh, you can go on my website, and I have I have some research reviews, some blogs, some videos. We're in the process of updating it. There's also a, a coaching section if you want to contact me and inquire about coaching. Inquire about coaching. I also have a business Facebook page, and that's Big Red Physical
0: Performance. Awesome. Big Red. awesome. Right.
2: And so you can follow me there and contact me there as, as well. Awesome.
0: Well, Dr. Kaleva, we really appreciate you coming on. This has been very cool for me just because, you know, seeing how far you've come and and us both kind of starting in the same place, having different paths, and then kind of intersecting in the same place, you know, 15 years later. So, or 13 years later. So it's pretty cool for me. So thank you for coming on the show. We really appreciate it.
2: Yeah, my pleasure. I had a blast.
0: Awesome. All right, guys, thanks for listening and we'll catch you all next time.
1: All right. See ya.